Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst to discuss either a single stock industry or in this case, kind of a global business. This is going to be a unique episode. As you probably saw in the title, we're not talking about any specific stock today, but we have on a friend from Twitter, goes by Brian, and we're talking about the business of golf. So how do golfers make money? Where does that money come from? How is that split up? What are the significant costs and kind of what elements within the golfing industry or what sub-segments of the golfing industry are kind of good and bad businesses? It's a really wide-ranging conversation about the entire topic of golf. So if you're interested, yeah, Brett, you got something? I would say as a fun teaser, he is a caddy that is on a team that's about to go to the PGA Tour. So he knows his industry better than anyone. He's living it. So it was a great perspective from him and we're happy to have him on. Yep. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome in. Today, we are joined by our friend Brian from Twitter. I'm going to leave it at that. And we have a very unique episode, I think, today. We've done a couple like this, but it's not catered to any one specific stock, but it's more about the business of golf. And I think Brian has a bit of a unique perspective. He kind of doubles as uh, uh, an investor and a caddy. So kind of a unique perspective there. But I guess before we get into some of the questions about the business of the golf, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? How'd you get into, I guess, both investing and caddying? Yeah. Uh, first off, thank everyone for listening. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm very excited, also very nervous to do something like this. So um, yeah, so I've kind of got a unique story in a way. Um, I went to college at the end of school. I was just sort of figuring stuff out. I was working on a golf course caddying for a while. And um, I've always been enjoying investing and uh, on the personal side, you know, nothing, um, nothing for anybody. And I got approached by a caddy I was working with that was thinking I could do a really good job caddying for a professional golfer. And uh, I started working for him a couple of years ago and we've, this is now our third season. It's been a pretty interesting adventure so far. All right. Yeah. That's a, I don't know. Good tease. And I should say you're being humble. You guys just made the PGA tour next year. So congratulations on that. When did you get the official announcement? And maybe you don't have to share the entire celebration, but how, how was the celebration after that? <laughs> so like we got the official announcement maybe two weeks ago. Um, I would say like for the last two, two and a half months, we've, we sort of knew we would, we were making it. Um, they were just waiting for a certain points threshold that we would hit. Um, but we sort of celebrated along the way. Um, you know, when we first won in, earlier in the year, we definitely celebrated. Um, we were in the Bahamas, um, you know, in, at a private resort, and it was pretty cool to, to be able to, to celebrate there. Um, 
but yeah, throughout the season, we just sort of just been celebrating any win or you know, minor win, second place, third place, any of those are good for us. Um, but yeah, it's just been, we never, <laughs> surprisingly, when we found out, found out, we just were like, okay, that's awesome. Uh, interesting. So you kind of already knew the points were lined up for yeah. getting to there. Yeah. All right. Well, that kind of, I think it gives you a perfect perspective of, you know, you're kind of on the threshold from the second league and the corn Ferry tour, moving up to the PGA tour. You also have the investing background. I think just to start up more broadly, and then maybe we'll have some detailed questions. I know we want to hit the Netflix show. I know we want to hit the casual stuff like top golf, the equipment brands, all that good stuff. Yeah. But generally, how does the business of golf work? What can you give as someone who's been on the inside for a little while now? Yeah. So I guess I can explain how like the business works for the golfers. Um, so every week we've got a, a purse that we play for. That's the, the total amount of money. So on the corn Ferry tour, it's a million dollars every week on PGA tour. It's anywhere from 9 million up to the 20 or 25 million, I think. Um, and the winner gets 18% of that. Uh, and it's a pretty standard percentage across the board of what you get for what place. Um, and obviously that gets, you know, it changes if some guy, if there's a bunch of guys tied for third place, then it kind of, you average all those, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth guy, and that's how they make their money. Um, and on my end, the caddies, we get paid every week that we work. And then we get a percentage of what our player earns in a week. So if the guy doesn't make the cut, you're just getting, you know, whatever your, your salary or your base, your basis. Um, so I guess it works a little bit like, you know, in the vesting business, you get maybe a draw or you get, you know, a base salary, but a lot of your, a lot of your money is based on performance and, uh, and how you guys do. Okay. I have a bunch of questions cause I'm less familiar with the world of golf. Brett's kind of the, uh, between the two of us, much better golfer, but let's start yeah. with the, let's start with the, I guess the team who all is on a golf team. Like, so you've got the golfer, you've got the caddy. Is there anybody yeah. else that's taking the cut from that revenue that they're getting? So yeah, everyone's got most of it. Everyone's got a coach of some sort. So your coach is getting paid either, you know, a certain amount of money per year and they're kind of on contract or, you know, on the PGA tour, it's a percentage. So a lot of coaches, and, you know, in Ben's coach's situation, he charges him a, a set number for the year. And um, once he gets the PGA tour, once there's a little bit more money to go around, he'll, he'll take a percentage. So uh, it's common to get, you know, anywhere from three to 5% as a coach of anything they make. And then there's agents who are getting a percentage of all of their endorsement deals. And then also, uh, a lot of time, a percentage of what they make, uh, which can go anywhere from 10 to 20%. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so you talked about the business of the individual team. I think one 
Well, everyone has this question for all the sports leagues, but where does the money come from? I think with golf, it's interesting because it's not just, you know, the NFL or the NBA. They're all these separate. Uh, and we, we may have time to talk about live, but I know everyone's had an endless conversation on that. If they're interested in this industry, you know, there's the separate tournaments, the, 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 the majors and all that stuff. Where does this money come from? Is it TV deals, licensing deals? What is it? So, yeah, TV deals are big. Um, that's probably the largest percentage of it. So all those TV deals. You've got your title sponsor. So, you know, the, for example, the, the, the FedEx St. Jude Classic is obviously not sponsored by St. Jude. Um, they don't put any money in, but FedEx does. Um, and then you've got all these different things. Like there's the official air conditioner of the PGA Tour, the official, you know, you name it. So there's all this money coming in. And then you've got the ticket sales, and um, which is probably a small percentage if I'm thinking about it. Um, but it's... I, it's probably similar to most sports where you've got, you know, the, the TV deal is probably the, the biggest portion of it. I don't know the numbers, but I imagine it's it's pretty significant um, to be able to to the, the operation is just so huge with all the the, the staff and camera people. Um, it's got to be got to be some big money in it. Here's a quick follow up. Do you know who owns the Golf Channel? Because I know that's just NBC. Like golf 20. Oh, NBC. Okay, NBC. so it's so Comcast, yeah. right? And I guess maybe this is a good time to talk about this. We've seen, you know, the Netflix show come out. We've seen, you mentioned recently on the Corn Ferry Tour, you weren't there, but you've been playing on that all year. The mm -hmm. Barstool, I, I don't, I think it was maybe on their website or maybe TV streaming. They were doing a tournament. What do you think about getting ex the expansion? It seems like for a lot of these golf events away from traditional NBC, CBS broadcasting. I think it's, I think it's great. I'm not sure it's a replacement, but I, it's like an amazing compliment uh, to what we have going just because, you know, I, I'm a big golf fan. I watch the traditional coverage just like everybody else. It can get a little boring. So just hearing guys that aren't the traditional old guy with an accent, making fun of the players and swearing and, you know, just saying whatever comes to mind, that's, that connects, I think a little bit more with people and, uh, getting a lot more on the course interviews and hearing the guys' stories during during the round, it's uh, I think it's going to be really good. Um, I don't know what it will end up being, but I think I think it's going to be pretty awesome. Okay, so you mentioned the sponsors. Now yeah. you mentioned the tournament sponsors. As for the player sponsors, I guess how do those work? Is it kind of a similar thing where it's like? compensations dependent on tournament performance or do they just get kind of a structured deal where it's like, you know, we're giving you a million dollars to wear our clothing for the year, give a percentage of this to your caddies and your coaches. Do they like share that part with the team as well? So the, that part does not necessarily get shared. Um, there are many caddies who like, you'll notice the player and the caddy are wearing the same hat. The caddy is usually included in that deal somehow, but it's not, it's not a number. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of what, what it is. Um, but as far as how the sponsorships work, like you're, you're getting a lot of just random businesses, typically financial companies or insurance companies that will sponsor these guys and they pay, you know, anywhere from a hundred thousand dollars up to, um, you know, millions of dollars just for a logo on a hat or a shirt or a collar. And, um, 
on top of that, there are incentives. So, I mean, if you, if you win a major or if you, some guys have deals, if you're inside the top 30 on the money list, or it's any of these different performance metrics. And it all adds up to like, how much time am I on television? Because that's really what they care about. Yeah, I always remember, and I guess this is a testament to the advertisement. Although I don't, not sure what I'm ever going to buy one of their products is the workday sponsorship for Phil Mickelson. That one is uh, <laughs> that one always makes me laugh. You know, enterprise software golf. I guess that's a, a good combo. But let's talk about you mentioned the sponsorships, and I think something very interesting happened in the golf industry, or really hasn't happened in the golf industry, and that is the loyalty to equipment brands. Maybe if you disagree with this, tell me why you think so. But the first question is, do you have, do you think golfers have any loyalty to equipment brands specifically for their clubs or their balls or whatever? And why do you believe there has been no dominant, say Nike X, uh, you know, equipment player that has emerged in the industry where the brand has just separated itself from the competition? Yeah. So I guess this is one of those yes and no answered questions. Um, so everyone's got like a favorite club manufacturer, but at the end of the day, all these guys have a, a club deal. So they're getting paid you know, on the corn ferry tour. It's probably 35,000 bucks to play all Titleist stuff. So you got to wear the Titleist hat, you got to use the Titleist ball, wear the foot, foot joy shoe. You got to use, normally it's 12 of the clubs of your 14. And it usually is the driver and the putter, which are kind of the most important ones. And you don't really get a choice to play other things. So that's, you know, and with four or five major brands in golf, you don't really get a dominant player to emerge. The only thing you can see is you've noticed that everyone's, not everybody, but most guys are playing a Titleist ball, even if they're, you know, some guys don't have that, you know, negotiated into their deal and especially like a you know ping which is a big manufacturer they don't make a golf ball so all those guys are using titleist for the most part well, um, or outside of the professional realm because i'm maybe yeah. trying to from an investing perspective you know there's a i think callaway may be the only one that's publicly traded but sure what's why why do you think that hasn't emerged again you know for the casual golfer like myself yeah. why isn't it just seems strange that there is no brand loyalty. Uh, I've seen all my friends switch around brands constantly. You know, there's, I think people have their own, their own loyalty to brands, but as you know, as a population, it's just, you know, everyone goes to wherever, like you see the commercial, it says you can get 12 more yards when you use the new TaylorMade driver. So they all buy the TaylorMade driver. The next year, Ping does the same thing. So that's just, it ends up being a, a silly competition because everybody wants to get the next thing that's going to help them get better when it's probably not the the golf club that's going to do it. But, um, you know, it would be interesting to see some consolidation in the golf industry. Like it really hasn't happened at all. Like I, I want to say the last thing that happened was Adams golf, which was, they made really good hybrids and they were bought by Callaway maybe 10 years ago, but that's the only thing I can think of. Um, Taylor made, I think was public at one point and then was, uh, bought out and, you know, they're really, they're not great businesses. Um, unfortunately. Why, uh, maybe, yeah, let's get on that for a little bit. Why do you think they're not great businesses? I know men, you know, the brand, there's no brand loyalty. That's the key. Maybe they just need to hire away a Nike advertising executive, but 
from my perspective, you look at golf clubs and the prices just continue to rise every year. And you, you think, you know, generally for the avid golfer, there is pricing power with especially something like a driver, you know, it could cost 600 bucks one year and then 10 years later it can cost a thousand bucks. Why do you think it's not, why do you say it's not a good business? Um, it's just the margins aren't great or as great as they should be for what they're selling. Um, and the thing is they're not like there's pricing power in the sense that they could, you can move the, the price of the, the driver up, but that's basically all they've been able to do. If you look at the golf ball, I think it's been 45 or 50 bucks a dozen since I was I don't know, five or six years old and I'm 27. So you'd think that would be something they could, they raise the price of. Um, and there's no brand that's like, oh, there's the Apple of golf clubs that they can charge 1200 for their driver. Um, you know, maybe that's PXG, but they've brought their prices down to be in line with everybody else at this point. So I think they've realized that they can't, they can't do that. They don't have the pricing power that they thought they did. Um, you know, I think on the golf club side, it's a better business than the golf course side, but I don't think either of them are, are great businesses. Other, uh, You'd probably be hearing a lot more about how awesome they were if that was the case. Yeah, I guess. What is the, do you know about the like, economics or the business of the golf courses themselves? Like how did, I guess I probably have a general idea of how they make money, but are they usually profitable? Um, the really high end public ones can be, but your, your country clubs, your, you know, run of the mill golf courses, they're, they're not, they're not great. They're just kind of big pieces of land and you hope that the weather's good and people come. And, um, I think in the last few years, obviously golf courses have been probably better businesses than they have in the, been in the past, but, um, I don't, I don't think. I mean, if you look at some of the public companies that have been involved with owning golf courses, it hasn't went so well. Um, so, yeah. And okay, this is a selfish one because we, me and Ryan, have thought about this before. I'm sure uh, my friends have group uh, groups of friends have talked about this constantly, or maybe not constantly, but have has come up from time to time. Do you think a driving range is a good business? I thought Drive Shack was a great business, and I lost a little bit of money on that one. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it probably is if it's just one of those like cheap pieces of land and everyone comes to it. There's one by my house that's right next to Drive Shack that somehow I think makes you know tons more money than they do. And it's just they're in the right location and they're charging the right price and they don't have many people you know on the staff. And I think you put a mini golf course in there and you get a bunch of kids to go. I think it's probably a pretty decent business. If it's in an expensive area to own land, probably not, but. Um, if you've got a nice piece of land, 20 minutes outside of the city, it's probably doing, doing okay. And Brett, I will, I will correct you from earlier. You mentioned that Callaway was the only public one. There's one, a Cushnet holdings ticker. That's golf. tie list. Yeah. That's, that's tie, tie, list. tie list. Okay. Uh, and and then not- there's, um, there's Vici properties, which owns a bunch of golf courses along with casinos and things like that. But, um, you don't really get a great look at, um, and they own a bunch of high-end properties around in like Vegas and California. Yeah. So it seems like the golf course and the club and the drive ranch industry can be quite strange because the business itself doesn't seem to generate too much cash flow, but the land it can sit on, I'm sure a lot of people, we've all seen the complaints. 
uh, the LA Country Club was a classic one, right? Where they <laughs> yes. said that each acre was worth like I don't know how much, an absurd amount of money. It's, it's when you actually sell it eventually that the land is worth so much more. Yes. And yeah. you see a lot of public golf courses in, in my area, at least, are just getting bulldozed and becoming houses. Interesting. Uh, is, you know, maybe just a microcosm of the housing industry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's 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 talk uh, maybe... I guess you could call it modern golf just because I think that's like the ticker now for Callaway. But um, I wanted to talk about this because from the estimates they have or the numbers they put out, golf was, I guess, in decline in terms of players or active players, active fans. And as kind of this new casual golf concept well top golf flat stick pub things like this have kind of rolled out it seems like it's re-engaged sort of the casual fan do you think that's happening and then i guess what do you think about the golf industry generally do you think it can grow i think like top golf has been great for getting a lot of people out i think a lot of the what has driven golf the last few years has really just been covid and everybody going outside and that, that being the one thing that you could do, but the, you know, the people who were playing golf are playing golf so much more. My boss played golf like 220 times or something that year. And, um, you know, he's, you know, those people are buying more clubs, buying more balls doing, you know, that's, that's when these manufacturers were making their money. Um, you know, top golf has certainly helped. You know, you've got a lot of people who would never even go, to a driving range are now going because they, they got a, a corporate event or it's a birthday party. So I think that's, that's going to help, but I don't think those people are going to go play golf necessarily. You might get a few of those people to convert. Um, it's just, it, it's more entertainment for them, but I think there's some growth in golf. The fact that there's barstool sports and there's these, you know, uh, Bob does sports and this guy, Bobby fairways who, is all over Instagram and YouTube. You know, he's got millions of followers. I would have never expected people to be into that. So I think there's got to be more and more younger people getting into it. Um, it's just going to take a little while to figure that out. Yeah, and this is we've looked at Top Golf Call Top Golf Callaway, uh, excuse me, for a little while. And the way we like to think about it is they talk about the industry as a whole with the casual golfers and stuff like that versus the core golfers. And it seems like the casual golfers are growing and they it's, it's that's going to benefit the top golf business, right? Cause people go for birthday parties, like you said, and there's also things like flat stick pub, a lot of different concepts, you know, where people can go for parties and they don't really, they're probably pretty bad at golf, but they can just hit the ball around. It's a, it's a fun time to do every, you know, couple months or something like that. But the actual courses, the actual industry, isn't going to make as much money from these people because if they're playing once a month, as you said, compared to someone that's playing 200 times a year, they're not going to be spending maybe what, 5%, 2% of the money of these super fans. Um, it seems to me like it's similar to the music industry where the artists always make money as we're seeing, you know, with like the Taylor Swift concert on these super fans who are willing to pay up and up and up for this type of product. Do you agree or disagree? Because it seems like the no, they, they state that number that goes up you know, as the casual fans, but I always think, well, these are pretty low. If we're going to talk like ARPU of a, yeah, fans, but it's pretty if, low. I guess to play the devil's advocate, and I wasn't even thinking about this, you know, it's, 
if you start playing golf and you're really into it and you buy clubs and you never play, that's awesome for Callaway. I mean, they're, yeah. just, they're, they're raking in money off people who really shouldn't be buying golf clubs. So maybe they'll get those people to convert into customers and they're not, you know, heavy volume customers, but they're going to, you know, they're going to buy a driver every five years and use it six times. And that's what, that's, that's that, you know, I, it would be interesting to see what, what some of these people start doing. You mentioned earlier that TV, uh, TV rights are probably the biggest revenue driver for a lot of the, well, ultimately a lot of the pro golfers. How do you think golf as a whole has transitioned to kind of this world of streaming? Because I know there's there's a lot of leagues that have been kind of left behind as they were, and I, I'm guessing golf has a lot of older listeners or older viewers, but like MLB has had a hard time, I think, converting a lot of people um, or growing their audience because they've been slow to transition to streaming. Do you think golf's been on kind of the cutting edge there? Are they on a lot of the streaming properties? I guess, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, golf is pretty accessible on your phone, on the computer. Like a lot of the times I'm watching golf that way these days. Um, Live Golf started that way all over YouTube. Um, and like, you know, for my, someone like my dad, like, I, I don't know if they're ever going to watch on the computer, but he's got the te- television to watch on. But as far as like the people I see all the time and I'm hanging around with, which is all young people that are very good at golf. Um, they're, they're very into watching on their phone and, you know, every, all the, the golf channel apps, great. The PGA tour app is great. You could follow all the players along. You could almost watch, you know, it, you could look at basically a caddy's yardage book and watch the player play each hole, which is really cool. If, if that's something that you're even into, um, there's so much data in golf now. Um, I think it's, it's definitely on the cutting edge. Uh, it's just whether you're willing to, to be part of it as a, as a fan. Right. And it's, it's really interesting where, you know, we talked again on how there's the casual golfers versus, and they not may, may not be playing a bunch, but they might buy clubs and possibly if they go to top golf, they might watch, you know, the major tournaments or something like that. And viewership might go up. I think I saw this year that, or at least the last few years, there has been a tick up. Um, I think that's kind of leading me to say, do you think, there's going to be a big sports right buyer that really increases kind of this new PGA tour. Well, I guess it's PGA tour slash live now. I don't know what they're calling it, but do you think there's going to be a big increase in the sports rights where someone's going to try to, it could be a Netflix, could be an Amazon, could be anyone try to get the international rights for the, uh, the golf league. Um, I think it might be a, a big competition, but it seems to only be between CBS and NBC. Those are the guys that broadcast it all the time. Um, if I had to guess, it would be Comcast because they're, at the end, they're NBC and also Golf Channel. So I think they've got a little bit more of a stake in all of this and you know, a reason to be the main people. Um, but as far as how it's going to shake out, especially with what's going on with Liv, I, I, I certainly don't know who's going to own it all. Or who's gonna who's gonna be the big buyer? Um, I've got some guesses, but they're yeah, as good as yours. <laughs> what uh, as someone from you know, uh, I guess in the corn fairy t- tour, what were your thoughts on the whole shakeup that happened? I think it was a couple of months ago now, or maybe uh, two months ago. And could you explain 
what happened. Oh yeah, and explain. I, yeah, explain what happened and what your thoughts were. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting. So the guy I caddy for, we were actually playing in a PGA tournament. We were playing the Canadian Open, and we were on the driving range, and it was like one of those like Amber Alerts that went off. Everyone started picking up their phone and looking at it, and everyone's just kind of murmuring. And slowly but surely, we were realizing what we got on our phones. Everyone's getting a you know Wall Street Journal or it was ESPN or something was broadcasting. Hey, that the, the Live Tour and the PGA Tour just merged, and you know, these are all guys who had stayed on the PGA tour. So the reaction that was happening was, was kind of interesting. Um, as far as what happened, I don't think anyone really still knows. Um, but it's, it's going to be, it should be good for golf. I don't, I think that's kind of what all the, the guys are saying, cause that's what they're supposed to say, but that's not, that's my own opinion. Um, you know, having more money to go around is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, what, whatever you want to say about where it comes from, that's, I guess that's everyone else's opinion. Yeah. That's been talked about ad nauseum. Uh, <laughs> what, so you mentioned that you think that's going to be either NBC or CBS. Yeah. What keeps Netflix from going? I know they don't, aren't, don't have any sports rights right now, but they had the, the documentary seems like it would work for them because there's a global audience in Europe and Japan and Australia. What keeps them out of this? Could you see a world where Netflix is streaming a PGA tour event? Like 20 years from now, or maybe 10, like for sure. But like not in the next, like not while my dad's still alive. Like he's going to be like, I'm not going on Netflix to watch golf. So <laughs> until you got those guys that aren't going to be watching, I just think it's a huge risk to get, a lot of people who are just sitting around watching golf four days a week, they don't want to get rid of those guys. Um, so maybe there's yeah. a world where they also broadcast it or they, they've got their own, they start broadcasting live or I, I, I don't know, but I just don't think it's, it's happening in the next five years, at least I'd say. Okay. And then on the Netflix documentary, you mentioned before that you're saving it, uh, that you haven't watched it yet, but what, I guess, did you notice a difference uh, after it went out? Because it seems like it was extremely popular. Yeah, like I've had people who don't, don't even like golf come and ask me about it and tell me about different stories. They they thought the thing with Tony Finau was really cool. And um, like, oh, that guy seems like a really cool guy. Now I want to root for him. Um, and it's funny, last week I was staying with a family. And I, the first time I met this guy, I'm like, he looks just like Justin Thomas. And like the next day I told him that and he was laughing because he's like, for the last few months, like all these girls keep coming up to me and saying that I look like Justin Thomas. And I think there was a long time where 25 year old girls weren't walking up to guys and saying that they look like a golfer. Um, so that's gotta be good for, for the game in some way. Um, and especially for the golfers because, you know, more exposure to them and making them a personality means more money to them and more money right. to the game yeah yeah it seems like i don't know if you follow the f1 business closely but it seems like it's it's kind of similar except you can't really buy the whole league as a single entity it's way more complicated than formula one but seems very similar where they're trying to boost the viewership you increase the sponsorships you increase the you know how much a city wants to host them um i guess ryan do you have any follow-ups before we do any maybe a fun one to end it or something like that no i think that covers the basics it's i mean i guess maybe one thing we didn't hit on 
we talked about the revenue streams. What are the costs? Just wages yeah. to the team? Yeah. Like travel. costs. Yeah. Travel. Um, you know, every week, both the, you know, Ben and me, we, I pay for my plane ticket. I play, pay for my rental car. I pay for, you know, if I'm, we're staying in the Airbnb this week. So, um, you know, he's covering it this week. Sometimes I'm staying with caddies. Sometimes we're staying with a family who's nice to host us. Um, but we pay for all of our food. Um, you know, it's, it's not like a normal sport where like you're on an NBA team and you get to fly on the private jet, you stay in the team hotel and you've got the physiotherapist on staff and you got all, all your food covered. Like it's a totally different ball game. And, um, it makes it a little bit more fun because you got to get creative and you're on your own and you can be independent, but it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's different on, on the professional side for golfers for sure. Okay. And maybe this is a fun one. If you can't think of someone, you don't have to answer, but from a business perspective, who do you think the most, or maybe it can be skill because I guess relates, who do you think the most undervalued team is? In golf. In golf. Yeah. It could be like, obviously, you know, Tiger Woods is probably not going to be the answer or maybe it is, but because he's the most famous, but what's like a sneaky undervalued, maybe this is kind of a funny way to say who's then, you know, the most underrated golfer out there. It's probably Ben Silverman, but that's, that's besides obviously him, but maybe the second <laughs> one. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of like young kids on this tour. Like there's this kid, Pearson Cootie, who's the grandson of a former Masters winner. And he's won three times in the last 23 starts. Uh, he's one behind us on the points list. And um, like, whether or not he's going to be a major champion or whatever, he's going to be a superstar. Like he's got the Nike sponsorship already. He's kind of got that, like, you know, young, he swings hard. And like, it's, it's, I think he's going to be a success in the business world, whether or not the golf world. Um, so that's probably someone I would say that I, I see on a regular basis. That's going to be pretty big. Okay. Good answer. And maybe one more. What, sure. if you could separate, cause I know you can't really invest in a lot of this stuff if you could separate one part of the industry as say the highest quality business, if you could say it like that, like, you know, you mentioned the drivers are probably the best part of the equipment. There's something like top golf. There's the golf courses, driving ranges, the balls. Although I think I know the ball isn't going to be the answer. Cause you said that they haven't been able to raise prices in 20 years. What do you think is like the highest quality business in the industry? Um, Trackman. Interesting. I don't know if you know what Trackman is, but it's a track for the normal viewers. So TrackMan is what basically every golfer uses to aid in their performance. Like, you, you know, when you go to the driving range and you see there's a little sign that says the red flags, 180 yards and the blue flags, 150. And you're like, Oh, I'm hitting my club to this far. And like, that's, that's what you do. But like the golfers, they've got every single metric from ball speed, club head speed, launch angle, attack angle, spin rates, and they can they can come up with all this data that's going to help them perform better, and those things cost like twenty five thousand dollars, and that's the only thing that golfers don't get for free. Every club, every ball, anything you want as a golfer is free, but they don't get a discount really. I mean, it's just they know they've got a great business, and um, there when you're watching television and you see the data that they give you, that's who's feeding it to you. They have a bigger version of that. That's what's at Top Golf that gives you all the data. Um, I don't know the numbers on the enterprise side, but I got to imagine it's pretty damn good. 
So right. Um, so if anything, tracking software is the best spot of the industry. No surprise there. Kind of the sneaky one. Software, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Software <laughs> with pricing power that isn't consumer facing. Uh, yeah. I can tell Ryan's already looking if it's public, but. It's I, like, yeah, I think it's in like it's in some like weird country. I think in the Netherlands or um, yeah, I'm not seeing. Is it, is it, what about like Top Tracer? Is that similar technology or is it kind of inferior? Um, so the Top Tracer, I think it uses TrackMan data. Okay, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> That's the yeah. brand. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, Ryan, do you have any others? I don't have any follow-ups. I think that's it. All right. All right. Well, cool. I think that is going to do it. Brian, thank you for joining us. We're going to throw a disclosure on this, even though we we talked very little bit about uh, public equities, but we want to remind listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in any securities that we discussed on this podcast, although we didn't discuss that many securities. Um, But thank you all for listening. Thank you, Brian, for joining the show, and we'll see you all next time.